everybody to Swedenborg Live. We are very happy to be live with you this week and we're getting things started a little bit later than expected. So I hope you've had lots of time to think about some great questions for us. Um, and uh, especially this week um, on the channel, we've been exploring an, a, a topic that we love to dig into because Swedenborg just has some amazing insight into the book of Revelation. And this week's topic was digging into Revelation chapter nine, um, the uh, bottomless pit. The bottomless pit, that's what it was, yes. And, um, and so uh, there you saw Karen and among, as well as with her, I've got two other sage vessels of love and wisdom with me. So uh, how about you guys each introduce yourselves? Hey, I'm Kara. Latin consultant for the uh, channel here and uh, glad that we hung in for half an hour. I'll get to spend some time with you. And I'm Jonathan Rose, series editor of the New Century Edition of the Theological Works of Emanuel Swedenborg. Pleasure to be with you. Great. And I'm Chelsea Odner and uh, writer at Off the Left Eye and very happy to be with you guys all this week. And so, um, we're taking your live questions, get it in and something, well, as you, as you might know from watching our channel, we are a nonprofit. So we depend on donor support to be able to create the content on this channel. And so if, if it's fed you or benefited you in some way, um, we'd be honored to have you consider giving us a donation and you can go to otle.cosvox.com. Um, and anyone who does, if you go and give a donation between now and the end of the show, we are going to draw a raffle from those donations. And uh, so what you could win with this raffle is a copy of the book, A Dove at the Window, which is uh, a really special volume put together by um, a woman named Vera Glenn. And it's about uh, spiritual experiences that people have had or communications from loved ones who've died, but she pairs them with uh, quotes and reflections from Swedenborg. So uh, it's a wonderful um, book and you could get your very own copy mailed to you uh, as the winner of our raffle this week. So um, yeah, the link is in the description to the Cosvox uh, website there. And um and then every week we do our weekly reflection question. And so this week's question was, when you feel yourself getting sucked into a pit of negativity, what can help pull you back up? And so really the, the spiritual bottomless pit that we all have uh, nearby. <laughs> and, and so Karin uh, will read a, the, the responses that we got to the question this week. Yeah, here are a summary of a condensed version of uh, some wonderful responses that were giving me great reminders of tools when I feel stressed out. So here, here they are. Turn to the Lord, think about my husband and pray to God. Turning to the Lord in prayer, pray hard. Music or outside, music. Meditate, conscious breathing. Focusing on breathing through the, my nose. Just knowing evil spirits feed me dark thoughts. They don't like being exposed. So just that awareness. Knowing I am protected by angels who love and abide with me in heaven. 
knowing it's okay to feel bad so you can feel better when the time comes. Use gratitude when it starts. The longer you're there, the harder it is to get out. I ask my angels for someone to help. This shifts my focus off myself. Prayer, music, breath work while cleaning, then a hot shower with cold water rinse afterwards. Fun content and sunshine are honorable mentions. The Lord's Prayer, Curtis Childs, reading the Bible. I slow my thinking with deep breathing and let negative thoughts float by. I say no to any negativity that pops in my head. I count my blessings. Remember people that are worse off who need help first. I use flashcards to help remind me. Balance is key. Darkness that once ruled me has no more sting. It gives me joy to see his amazing strength. Off the left eye. The topic is always related to my life. It's like manna from heaven. Praying, coming here to off the left eye. Psalm 46, verse one. Off the left eye is my go-to when dark times start. I appreciate the love, kindness, and Swedenborg. If off the left eye would help me change my smoke detector battery life, it would be life would be grand. <laughs> <laughs> Being in nature with animals and praying. And finally, I pray, I ask my guardian angels for help, and I think of the beauty of heaven that awaits us, how the animals and people I have lost are in a wonderful place. Wow, thank you, everybody. Just that was some great reminders for me because I've been feeling stressed lately, and that was great reminders of how to uh, turn, get get up out of that. Yeah, I love that. And I love the, the different, all the different ways that people, uh, tools that they draw on and and it's cool because so Curtis and I were responded to this question ourselves in the uh, podcast that is going to get uh, published on Sunday. And that is the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast. The title is Shift a Downward Spiral and Trust God in Transformation. And so you can listen to that uh, episode on Sunday um, to hear Curtis and me respond. And, and it's cool to hear some similar similarities and then uh, things that are different that other people said. Um, so it's cool to feel like we're all in this together and we can help each other. And uh, and I'm happy to be here with you panelists to get to respond to people's questions. And so uh, the questions don't have to be on, you know, the Bible or the book of Revelation, although you're welcome to ask those questions if you have any. Um, and so get your live questions in and we, we will do our best thoughtfully responding. <laughs> so here's our first question from... Uh, Micah, who asks, why is there so much symbolism in the book of Revelation? Was John the author? And so that is a question that's right on, right on point. And uh, yeah, I think it is the testament of John um, on the Isle of Patmos. And, uh, but that, that's about as far as I go. So yeah, Jonathan. Okay. Um here are some thoughts uh, for what they're worth. Um, there is an interesting question about the actual text. Uh, in Swedenborg's mind, he truly believes that the author of the book of Revelation is the same person as the author of the gospel of John, who is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, linguistically, people have pointed out for quite a while now that um, that's a little problematic because the style of the book of Revelation is radically different than the style of the Gospel of John. Gospel of John is very 
uh, philosophical and deep and the style of the book of revelation is um uh, a, a lot of lists is written by someone who seemed to have a different command of Greek. So I don't know exactly how those two texts came about, mm. but I take Swedenborg's word for it that it's important to think of that as John because of his meaning of um, good actions, like love and action somehow is what gives us these insights. Um, very interesting question about, I don't have a pat answer, but why so much symbolism uh, in the book of Revelation, uh, two things come to mind. Uh, one is that it is certainly in keeping with other apocalyptic literature. You have things in the prophets in the Old Testament. You have Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus, who's been normally pretty much making sense, you know, gets to talking about the end times and suddenly it's uh, very different, you know, it's kind of scary and full of that imagery, same kind of thing as the book of Revelation. So it seems like that's the way that type of material is supposed to be written. And um, I think one thing is that it is a, a protection. Uh, Swedenborg actually indicates that some of the meanings in the book of Revelation, like the, the, the river, the water of life that flows from the, from the throne and all that is about the book of Revelation itself and protecting that. Uh, so there's some of that symbolism is to form a protection function. And uh, there's also this strange element to me of hindsight. It's a little frustrating in, in a way to me because uh, Swedenborg says it's about events, particularly that went down in the mid 1700s, um, but he doesn't publish what they meant until after that time. So it's a little bit like somebody, somebody handing you a cryptic piece of paper with some symbols on it and then uh, a building blows up and then they say, oh, well, those symbols meant there's a bomb in that building. But um, well, it's like, well, the building blew up. You know, <laughs> wouldn't it be better to get a note that let you not have the building blow up? Uh, but there seems to be something important about that it had to be protected. It couldn't be revealed ahead of time. And it actually says, this is what happened. I want to tell you, I took a movie of it, you know, 1700 years ahead. And, and put that right in the book, uh, it, it's, it's very intriguing, but all of that had to be couched in this heavy symbolism. So those are some thoughts. Yeah, that's so interesting. It makes me think of kind of the, I don't know if it's if the holographic nature of the Bible is what is coming to my mind where when we were doing our uh, a show on um, how parts of the uh, Old Testament, the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob all reflect Jesus's own process. And then it also reflects the process we go through in our spiritual lives. There's something eternal about whatever that process is that the book of revelation is conveying through its symbolism, even though it, it was foreknown that it was going to play out in a certain way for our planet in this world too. So that's, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Karin. Yeah. I think I want to build on what you both are saying. Um, the, yeah, the, the symbolic language, it's actually this, this uh, language of symbolism is actually a very ancient kind of uh, way of speaking or writing that's, that uh, has come back or, or Swedenborg is now uh, re-revealing the way to understand that. But it is actually, from what I get from Swedenborg, it's actually a way more effective way to express ideas that, like you were saying, Chelsea, hold 
uh, a huge um, array of meaning that can be both personal and history of humanity and spiritual world and Jesus's process. And so the only way to describe all those things in one narrative is using this language of correspondences, this language of symbolism, because that kind of language has the power to hold all those meanings in, instead of just like, this exactly is going to happen, you know, to not just talk on one level, but be talking on all the levels at once. And I think that's what Swedenborg talks about. This literal sense of the Bible can hold all these layers of meaning that go from, you know, the lowest level all the way up to the, all the way up to the divine. And so that's one reason it needed to be written in that kind of language. And, and I think um, we actually need to, needed to not know exactly what was going to happen because uh, I think the same uh, reason that Swedenborg talks about the future is not revealed, you know, in Providence, we're not know, uh, we're not supposed to know what's going to happen because we humans have a t tendency to then mess it up or make it worse than it would be if we didn't know, you know, if there, there's a certain level of not knowing exactly what's coming, we will not do as much damage and Providence can, can work um, to steer things, even though it seems like we sure do a lot of damage anyway, but Swedenborg asserts we would do more if we, if we knew the future and tried to affect that future. So I think that would be why it's, it's told it very cryptically. It holds within it what's going to happen, but it's told in a way that we, we couldn't know until afterwards and then when when the time was right for that deeper meaning to be revealed through Swedenborg, because like Jonathan was saying, there's a protection. If this, this kind of knowledge was known too soon, there would be corruption of it um, that would have been more dangerous spiritually to everybody. And so it had to wait until, um, you know, until the time was right. Um, and also that I that the language of symbolism, that very symbolic language also has the ability to speak to us on earth and people in the spiritual world on many different levels at the same time. And that, again, that kind of language is the only language that can do that, speak to not only about many levels, but to people on many different levels at the same time. Uh, so there's some thoughts. That's great. And I really feel like it's such a relief about the future thing that you were saying. <laughs> Otherwise it'd be such a burden. I'm so glad that we can just, you know, it's just our job to do the next right thing. You know, the whole live justly, love mercy, walk humbly um, protocol. And that the fact that that is what serves the future best is like good with me. <laughs> you know, know that it's not, I'm not the one in charge of making sure this whole thing works out. Yeah. I wanted to add in that I, I, I think I was finally noticing at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, but like who's, so Jonathan talked about John writing it down and, and from what Swedenborg says, that's, that's a good way to think of it, that that's who was writing it down. Um, but it was, it seems to be like, it was Jesus talking this the whole time. Like he starts talking to John and then that's who's talking the whole way through. And, and I realized at some point, like I didn't, I didn't realize that like the, you know, Jesus starts speaking to John and then in chapter 17, I'm not remembering who's saying this, but I think, do you think Jonathan, that it's, it's still being like dictated, like this was being spoken to John by 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the Lord talks, <laughs> you know, like we did a show about Jesus um, wants us to seek the deeper meaning of his words. Even while he was in the world, he spoke in symbolic language. And um, this, this seems even wilder, but that is how the Lord speaks because that for those reasons that it holds all these levels. Yeah, the very opening words of the book of Revelation are the revelation of Jesus Christ, which could mean a couple of different things, but it is kind of his testimony. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, re a revealing of who, who he is. Uh, and, and you can forget that in all the high drama, the things catching fire and water, bodies of water turning to blood and things like that. But, but that's really what it's all about, that divine love and truth. Wow. I love that. That is very cool. I'll be thinking more about that the next time I crack open the book of Revelation to do some reading. Um, well, let's let's move on to our question number two. Thanks so much for that awesome question to open us to open the floor this week, Micah. If I'm saying your name right. Um, but now from uh, Babajun, who asks, "What does Swedenborg say about physical suffering? Just comes along with the earthly body and." Um, that is certainly a good uh, question. <laughs> Does anybody want to jump in on that first? Yeah, Jonathan. I, um, it's such a great question because you certainly, we have lots of time in this life to ponder that, don't we? As we go through plenty. Um, uh, first of all, I think Swedenborg indicates that uh, when the human race was uh, purer, there was less suffering, you know, some of it is just um, difficulties that, that the human race has fallen into over time and diseases and so forth. Uh, they're not our individual fault or something, but, but the Lord can totally use that. Uh, there are things that Swedenborg says that uh, the way I think of it is like the parable of the sower. If you're familiar with that in the New Testament, that there's a uh, four different types of reception. You know, it's that first type that's just hard as a rock and the seeds bounce off, the birds just eat them. And, and then there's, it, it gets a little farther, but it has no depth. And then it gets farther, but it gets choked. And then finally you get good ground. And just putting things together, I would say that the suffering is the thing that breaks up your soil. What turns you from a sidewalk into a garden, it, it, um, it creates a state of receptivity in us. It breaks up that sort of self-centered life that we all kind of just naturally launch in with and makes you, uh, it tends to give you the option at least of becoming more compassionate, understanding of others, humbler, uh, those sorts of things. So uh, it, the Lord would love to do without it, but if it's there, he can use it to advance our spiritual life. Yeah, right. It makes me think of um, just the the Garden of Eden and, and Adam and Eve being sent out of the garden and that spiritually reflecting the nature of how our ego wants to do it ourselves or, you know, live sort of separate from God, have this have this sense of autonomy and, you know, want to be the, the purveyor, you know, rule our own domain and everything, but that that comes with a little bit of a uh, a cost, which is that like toiling and struggle and pain. And like that, that 
you know, the Lord is willing to give us the experience that we get, I mean, and make the most of it, really. I mean, that's what the whole Bible is about, is just that beautiful prophecy of what's going to come, you know, a return to the garden through that whole process. But but that there's sort of an inherent nature of like, we, we kind of make it hard for ourselves. <laughs> um, but that not, again, not that it's our own fault, but that's just the nature of our condition in, in this world. But um, Karin, yeah, do you have some thoughts? Yeah. Um, I, yes, I, I do think like you've both been saying, um, it was not the, in the original plan of being in this physical world that there was all this suffering and all these problems that happened to our bodies and things. And I think it's, it is reflected in that story of that symbolic story of Adam and Eve being, uh, leaving the garden. Then like you were indicating Chelsea, that then there's descriptions of your, it's, it's going to be hard to get your food. It's going to be painful to give birth. And these are all uh, symbolic phrases, but it just is reflecting that suffering came into this level when we insisted on doing things ourselves instead of, um, you know, being guided by God and the, the inner voice of God. And so that's definitely the, 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 the grand scheme reason why there's suffering. And, um, and like Jonathan was saying, um, though that's not the, that wasn't the original plan. The Lord uses any suffering we go through to help um, advance our, our spiritual growth. It can, it can increase compassion, patience, humility, trust, you know, all these things that w- uh, we are just really needing to dig into um, when we go through that kind of uh, suffering, physical suffering. And I think Curtis did a recent news from heaven on that quote about how when the body is in distress. The soul is not, our spirit is not in distress, just kind of sad that our body is dealing with that. But the re, our real self is above that. And that can be hard to be comforted by when you're actually in physical pain. But it's, uh, to me, it's, it, it makes a difference that this isn't my whole self that is suffering here. This is my outermost layer and God will help me through this and build my spiritual strength. Like I think, is it in that same number? I'm not sure, but how that bonding with God, especially is happening when you're going through hardship and you turn to the Lord and let the Lord get you through that hardship, no matter what kind, but including physical suffering, that there's um, some very potent bonding with the Lord going on there. Um, And the last thing I'll say is I was just reading in uh, Lessons from the Light by Kenneth Ring, somebody from their near-death experience who had extreme uh, physical problems uh, in a wheelchair, just, you know, pretty incapacitated that after the near-death experience, and it took a long time, many years, but felt like they were gradually able to untangle many um, more spiritual, emotional, mental things and and got this sense of how disease is um connected with that and and again it's not meaning like this blame thing but just sort of uh there is this broader um connection between uh the 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 sort of clouded (laughs) um state of life that we've fallen into as humanity that is also blocking the the um flow of god's energy into even our bodies and I think just the more we collectively, he was actually getting individual results in that way. And that can work for some people and not, and not for others. And 
that's no judgment on anyone's uh, spiritual growth, but I think collectively, as we get more in tune with that, um, that connection uh, between thoughts, feelings, and spirit and body, um, I think it might just help turn around as it is now, um, you know, get a more holistic uh, treatments for everything and just uh, looking more and more at this uh, mind, mind, body, spirit connection and maybe help, you know, find better and better ways to alleviate physical suffering. Nice. Yeah. Cara. Yeah. I just want to um, emphasize, you've touched on it, that our physical suffering isn't our fault, quote unquote. Um, But people do sort of hang on to this idea that it's some kind of judgment or punishment or like, what lesson am I going to learn? What is, what lesson is God trying to teach me? Well, he might well have some lessons in there, but he's, he's not like plotting to sick some terrible experience on you so that you can <laughs> learn the lesson. I mean, he brings good out of everything. So just, just getting over the idea that it's an individual punishment, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. And I was hearing some of these different thoughts. I was thinking about our show, um, our spirits, or how spirits are connected to your health or are spirits connected to your health. That's uh, we dig into some of these ideas that are kind of within this question of, of what is the nature of spiritual trial versus physical suffering and how the two interact of spiritual influence and what we're experiencing on a physical plane. And um, I, I loved writing that, working on that show because it just was very clear that there's this clear distinction between the two and sort of, rules that kind of make sense for how the two levels interact in us. And so it's like, there it's, there's stuff, information to dig into there. So um, check out that show. Um, And hard to believe, but we are at our halfway point right now um, in our show. And I wanted to just say thanks so much to Chenyi and Linda for their donations. You have been entered into this raffle and for everybody else, if you want to jump in and, uh, have a chance to win a dove at the window, you can go to otle.cosvox.com and then you might get this lovely book. And, uh, but no matter what, you're supporting the programming on our channel, which just really means everything to us um, because it's just great to get these ideas out there and have these kinds of conversations. So thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll look forward to doing that raffle drawing at the end of the show. So Um, Here's our next question from Pamela Collins, who asks, did Swedenborg ever meet John spiritually? So John, the uh, vessel who (laughs) transmitted the book of Revelations, potentially the same, the apostle John. Um, And uh, yeah, Karen. I just want to briefly say, yes, I did see Swedenborg say he had met John among other disciples but from what I saw I don't I don't recall him ever describing that at all and saying a very frustrating thing like but why should I describe this because no one's gonna believe me (laughs) I really would have liked to hear what you talked about with John in particular he he does have a few descriptions of uh, talking with disciples and brief things but I don't I don't remember any further descriptions about talking with John, um, maybe Jonathan does. Well, I, I, I'm with you. I don't either. Um, he does, as you say, mention that at least a, 
a few times he spent uh, time with him in the other world. And there were, I think he spent more time with Peter, if I'm remembering. But anyway, he did uh, uh, did see him a couple of times, but doesn't tell us anything about that. Uh, but there are times uh, going all the way back to the early spiritual experiences where Swedenborg says, well, just he's writing away. And then he'll say, these things were written in the presence of the 12 apostles, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and even all the way at the other end of his works, uh, the uh, thing that happened on June 19, 1770, that the Lord gathered the 12 disciples who followed him in the world and um, sent them out of the whole spiritual world. And, and so he definitely um, saw him a few times, but what their actual conversation was like, he, he, we, we, uh, our lack of belief apparently prevented us from, <laughs> from learning about that interaction. So that's a little frustrating, but I, but I believe he did encounter him. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I love, I'm glad you brought up that amazing thing that he just mentions of like the, the Lord is sending out the apostles and throughout the spiritual world to, to, to share the teachings of the new church, right? Like, like that's the, and so it's cool that it's like this idea that, uh, you know, they're on board. <laughs> that's, so that's interesting um, to, to think about. So um, cool. Thanks for that question, Pamela. Um, here's our next one from Sharon Batten, who asks, it's a strange question, but I've just had a tattoo in tribute to my late partner. When we die, does our spiritual body have tattoos? That is just such a great question. Kara, um, yeah, do you wanna share some thoughts on this one? Sure, I have no idea, but here's my thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> Swedenborg says that in the other world, our um, <clears throat> appearance to others is completely based on what's inside us. Um, it's an honest world, as Jonathan likes to say, that what we feel and think just shows on the outside. I've never thought of that in terms of tattoos. I've thought of it in terms of facial expression and in clothing. That's what Swedenborg talks about. But um, in one way or another, it's going to come across to people that you care about your partner. And um, I don't know. I've never thought about tattoos, but those are some thoughts. Oh, it's so interesting. It, it makes me think of um, like uh, the amount, the how, uh, what a common thing that is in human cultures around the world, you know, just different parts of the world and ancient um, cultures to tattoo ourselves and either with, you know, either to paint, especially when you're doing sort of a, a ritual something or something that's sacred, it's like paint your face or your body in a certain way, or people get uh, tattoos, um, you know, and I, and so it is interesting to think, uh, I kind of love, I love the idea of there being that ability to look a certain way in the afterlife, you know, it's not, it, I don't know if it would be the same as like, uh, you know, obviously in the physical world, when you get a tattoo, it's just like baked into your, you know, to that layer um, in your body, but so would you have uh, tattoos or would, could they change? And I just think if that's something that you love or is a certain kind of an expression um, and also 
that people, when, when we meet our loved ones, they can often appear to us first as they did, as we knew them in the world, and then their appearance might change. And so that, uh, if somebody you love, you know, like if there's people you sort of know them by their look and they had tattoos, then maybe they'll appear that way to you in the afterlife too. Just a couple more thoughts, but um, yeah, Jonathan. I was having a similar thought about the, I just think there's a, just as in movies, you have a continuity person. Uh, there's a lot of thought about the continuity between our lives here and lives in the other world, partly to uh, help others recognize us, as you say, and, um, and for our own comfort and so forth. And then things will gradually change over time. Uh, but the, the uh, question, which I've never pondered before either, very interesting question. There's some beautiful uh, ideas of, um, there's that idea that things are uh, marked on your forehead and your hand, or even that most beautiful passage in the Old Testament that see, I have written you on the palm of my hand. Uh, you know, the ultimate, ta we're tattooed yeah. into the divine, you know, uh, yeah. we're, we're the Lord's tattoo. And, and um, uh, so I imagine there would be things like that where you could, you could see, oh, someone really loves this person. You know, there must be signs of that. Whatever that love is that manifested in that tattoo here will definitely be part of your spirit on yeah. the other side. And, and it is interesting how there is a, the, uh, somewhere, maybe it's Isaiah, but it talks about have the person also having written on their hand, I think the Lord's, you know, or like being marked by like, I am the Lord's and, uh, and it, but it does make me think also of Swedenborg saying that an angel can just look into somebody's face and know everything about them or sort of palm reading in the afterlife. And just sort of like, it, I love thinking about how, uh, is it, is it visually apparent or is it just sort of a telepathic knowing, you know, there, maybe there's variety to that. And uh, certainly if, if the, if the human experience in our world is anything, it would suggest that there's a lot of variety and that, and that facial or body markings is, is sort of a part of the, the mix that we get. So that's, that's cool to think about. Yeah. Karen. Yeah. Kind of like clothing, like you were <clears throat> indicating, you know, where it's an expression of something. And I would just add that, if you do uh, maintain some kind of tattoo or body marking in the afterlife, it won't be because you got it on your physical body because for those who got that dumb tattoo when you were 17 and you wish you hadn't, <laughs> um, that will not stay with you, <laughs> but uh, it will be because it uh, is an expression of the love you feel for somebody or the love for God or something. So it will definitely, again, be a matter of your heart and mind, not, not of what happened to your physical body, uh, though both can represent the same thing. <laughs> so that's my yeah. thought. Totally. Good point. Very good point. So thanks, Sharon, for that uh, wonderful question. And uh, here's our next one from Preliminimal, who asks, does each soul or person have what they are approximated is right for them and what they can handle? So I think in terms of our conversation about physical suffering and and just the suffering in life. Um, how, how does that get doled out? Yeah, Jonathan. Well, I've, I've thought about this and, um, 
at one point I came to the conclusion that it's, um, I mean, there are, there are scriptures that say that he doesn't give you more than you can bear. But I think uh, one discrepancy is that what we think we can handle <laughs> and what we can actually handle are two different numbers, so to speak. In other words, uh, uh, the Lord, sometimes I have wished that the Lord didn't have such a high opinion of me but thinking I can handle more than I think I can handle. <laughs> and, um, uh, and there are a lot of stories in scripture, like Jonah gets completely overwhelmed and doesn't know what to do. And he's in the belly of the great fish. And uh, it's not exactly a controlled experiment for him. You know, it's, it's a powerless kind of experience. And um, there are prophets who the Lord appears to them and they, fall face down and they, you know, sort of lose consciousness or, uh, in other words, it, it doesn't take too much to overwhelm us, but I think the Lord takes great care that, uh, the, the suffering not go beyond a certain level. So I do think it's true that there actually is a monitoring and a care of what we can actually handle without, you know, lasting spiritual damage, as opposed to just our nerfy selves. <laughs> no, stop. I, I can't, can't bear it. Yeah, that's great. And I, I wonder about uh, just similarly, the bounds of that are what can the Lord work with in the aftermath of whatever this thing is, you know, like, can the Lord bring goodness from it? And that's, that's kind of the gatekeeper of no matter what happens can the lord bring goodness out of it and and that's so that's kind of like you've always got that as a uh, for sure thing that you can trust no matter what's happening but yeah karen yeah i think um jonathan touching on that idea of spiritual damage one thing to keep in mind is the main the main protection is our our spiritual welfare and <clears throat> our Physical welfare is what we notice the most in this world, but um, the Lord is looking over our long-term safety. And so even though there can be ways that people definitely aren't safe or have tremendous amount to deal with on the physical level, um, the, the main thing God is making sure of is uh, on the spiritual level and the long-term um, you are safe and making sure that um, everything is only what you can handle. There's all this complexity of what divine providence um, will allow us to even believe or not know or this or that um, for our eternal safety and protection and things that we couldn't handle. And like, if a person can't handle going through regeneration in this world, it will be, you'll wait until the next life and things like that. So there's all that going on, which is so much huger than the physical suffering we ex we notice in this world. And um, I think I think it's useful to well, like Kara was mentioning about trying to not think about God has given you this for this lesson, sort of idea that the same thing to shift it away from like thinking like, okay, God gave this to me because he thought I can handle it to just whatever happens. God is going to help you through it, you know, kind of um, uh, 
that's to me that's a, a big shift in in the way I would hold it. So it might seem subtle in words, but um, it's whatever comes along, God will get you through it. And and even if it doesn't even look like it, that in this world, it you uh, your story and yourself is so much bigger than that, and God absolutely will get you through it and bring good out of it. And so, um, yeah, I think think bigger picture when you think that kind of question, think bigger picture and just think um, huge and then small, like your huge eternal self in life. And also just today, like um, don't think about like, oh, this whole situation, God thought I could handle it, but it's awful and it's going on for years. Um, Just think today, what God can get me through today and how, what do I need? What do I need to call upon? You know, who's who's help and all that. And I think I had one more thought about that. Uh, nope, maybe that was it. I'll say if I remember what the other thing was. Nice, cool. Well, I love, it's just su- such a, a useful thing to, to think about. And it makes me just think about the nature of things can appear to be horrible and we still don't know sort of the inner work that the Lord is doing. Yeah, Taryn. Remembered it. One thing when uh, when you look at other what other people are going through, I was noticing many people often get um, very upset what other people are going through and how could God allow that to happen to them. And I've noticed time and time again that it's a very different thing for the person who's actually going through it. Um, for instance, I lost a child and some other people might say, how could you ever make it through that? But I know how I made it through it because I did. And there's other things that I think I, how could a person make it through that? Why would the Lord allow that? And yet I read many stories of people going through horrendous child abuse and this and that, and yet they did make it through it. So they know how they made it through it. So God um, is working within each person's self. And um, that's another thing to don't look out there and think, try to make judgments on, well, that person, that was too much to handle or that um, trust that, uh, there's, you know, there's a personal story or personal relationship between them and God and God is finding the way and for your own story, uh, look each day for the way the Lord is getting you through that day and that situation. Nice. Yeah. I want to jump in and here and just say for everybody, first, a thanks to Zahir. Thank you for your donation. You've been entered into our raffle and now is sort of your last, it is your last chance to join. And so if you give now at otle.causevox.com, we're going to draw, do the drawing in just, just a couple of minutes after we finish our responses to this question. So uh, get, get your uh, gifts in if you want to have a chance to get the book, A Dove at the Window. So, um, but yeah, Cara, do you have any thoughts on this one? Oh yeah, I was just going to pull together the first, <coughs> excuse me, the first statement and the last statement of this discussion, which was Jonathan saying, the Lord doesn't give you more than you can handle. And then what Karen was just saying, I heard it say, said that the Lord doesn't give you more than he can handle. It's a good thing to keep in mind. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I, um, I love that. uh, I've heard it. I've heard it said that way before. And I feel like that's such a comforting um, way to think about it, to know that we're not, that we're not alone and that it is when we kind of, it's such a intense process to have to let go of thinking that uh, to really 
have that experience of powerlessness, you know, and yet to be, you know, held through something like that, that, that is that, uh, you know, it totally does connect back to that process of that's what breaks open the cement in us and, you know, turns us into something that can receive the Lord's love and wisdom. Um, so, uh, well, let's see, maybe we have time to, uh, give people a little bit of an extra chance. Um, so let's see. Okay. Actually, so we've got one, we have another donor that just came in, Mindy, thank you so much. And I think we will have to, that will be our wrap on the gifts for, I mean, for the donations for this week. And I have a little bowl here that I've put little slips of paper with people's names on it. And I'm going to be not looking and twirling the paper around and making a drawing for who can, uh, who's going to get the dove at the window. Okay. Zahir. Yay. Yay. If that name is forwards or backwards to you people reading. <laughs> Thank you so much. And you're going to get a, a dove at the window. Yeah, Karin. And I was just going to say thank you all, all, all of you. Congratulations to hear, but thank you all donors. That's so helpful. Yes, everybody who's given is uh, helping this whole machine keep running um, and helping us grow and reach new people. I mean, it just is amazing. The thousands of people that we reach every day uh, around the world with your, with your help. So um, thank you so much. And thanks for being here with us for this time and, it's always so great to get to respond to your questions. And um, yeah, so I want to give everybody a chance to say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us while we were late. <laughs> but thank you for being here. It was so great to talk with you and answer your wonderful questions. Nice to see you, everybody. See you again next week. Thanks. Yes, sending love. Thanks for your great questions. Yeah. and. I want to say thanks too, and just as a little uh, goodbye, but to let everybody know that um, there isn't going to be a new Swedenborg and Life show this next week, but stick around for the Monday following on October 19th. We're going to be continuing exploring the book of Revelation uh, with Revelation chapter 10, the mystery of the seven thunders. So stick around for that, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you next time. <laughs>